Right team, so tonight we are joined by the awesome Dave Cottrell, Mindset by Dave, and he's going to be talking us through a few key topics related to mental health, and Dave will give us a little kind of mini intro to him in a second. Um, but me and Dave have worked together on a few different projects. I've worked with Dave personally as well, um, so you can take my word for it. Um, as, a, as a client of his, he is awesome. He is going to blow your mind tonight. There'll be so many like little nuggets and phrases and reframes that you're going to be able to take away. Also, as Dave's going on, you'll probably notice that there's things that Dave says that I've pinched from Dave. So you'll, you'll know that when we talk about the boomerangs and the slingshots, I always quote Dave on that one. So loads of my kind of analogies. Oh, there you go. The real, the real one, the real uh, boomerang. Do you have props though? Yeah, no. <laughs> All, like a lot of my little reframes and analogies and stuff I've taken from Dave. So he is, he's incredible. So you are, you are very, very lucky to, to have him tonight. Um, like Dave said, we've run through kind of what we can do with the chat box and all of that. So I will hand over to you, Dave. Awesome stuff. Um, yeah, so I will just um, share the, this. I think that should do the job. Um, and then I will drag this over here so I can still see a bunch of you. Um, cool. Let's see if I can get as many of you on screen as possible. Cool. So um, so hello, I am Dave, aka Mindset by Dave. I like to tell people that my mum actually called me Mindset by Dave, and I have totally in a Monty Python style animated a photo of my mum with the jaw saying this in a really fake, cheesy, scouse female accent. Um, because, you know, it's it's my real name honest um but yeah as charlie already said um we've worked together a bunch of times over the last few years uh, a lot of doing i didn't realize he was using that much of my stuff need to speak to him about maybe put being on a retainer for that maybe i don't know but um but basically i am someone who was like i was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when i was 14 years old and i didn't really get that under control until my late 20s early 30s and i am shockingly you're not going to believe it but i am newly 40 years old i know um of, of about a month ago and basically i've spent i spent a huge portion of my life not having that stuff under control and to say it's under control completely now would be an utter lie and uh, I don't like to lie, but it's significantly more under control. That was where my big obsession with the mind started. It was with my own mind, to be perfectly honest. And um, basically the easiest way to describe what I do is I spend more time thinking about um, how to say things than what I actually want to say. So my job is primarily as a communicator and educator around mindset and mental health, trying to make complex concepts of the mind simple so i'm hoping that by the end of this session today there'll be a few of you that will have said oh that actually really simplified that simple not easy is kind of what i say but hoping that'll be a few of you that will say that really simplified that or you know my favorite one is oh i've never thought about it like that before that's my job is to try and get you to think about things in a different way today uh, we are going to be talking about self-esteem and anxiety today. Uh, this is on Charlie's request, actually. So I've not put these two I've not put these two topics together so before. Um, we will have a little bit of a break in the middle for questions on self-esteem, and then we'll go on to ones in anxiety. But for anyone who's just come in as well, please do use the chat box to put questions in as and when you think of them. Also, as another thing, Charlie's basically got me for up to two hours tonight, right? So the second, the first hour is going to be the talk. Second hour is whatever you want to do with it. Um, 
feel free to ask any mindset or mental health related questions. They don't have to be related to the topic today. Uh, basically, I have a simple rule. If I don't know the answer, I will not try and blag it. I will just tell you that I don't know the answer. Um, and we can all move on there from there. My ego intact and you hopefully not getting fed a line of crap. Um, so that sound, if that sounds fair, let's, uh, let's crack on. So we're going to start with self-esteem. And we're going to start with something that I call the self-esteem bank balance, right? Um, so there's a lot of things that contribute towards our self-esteem or a lot of things that we think contribute towards our self-esteem. So when I ask groups of people, where does our self-esteem come from? I get, I get answers like the ones that are on the left-hand side of this. So I get things like comments from others, childhood beliefs, talk negative self-talk, comparison to social media, TV, magazine, etc. The comments from others is usually split down into things like, particularly things that teachers said, particularly things that parents said, anyone in a position of authority in your life, um, even if it's a very slight authority, like, I don't know, older siblings, right? You know, they can sometimes be the people that we, uh, Charlie's literally just rolled his eyes at that one. Um, it's like, basically, they can be some of the people that we actually look to for these. And um, there is a lot of things out there that, that can impact our idea of ourself. And um, so the, the comments from others, yeah, we can't really control those childhood beliefs. Yeah. Now, sometimes we get a belief when we're a child um, and it's often taken from what we think we need to do in order to be good enough for somebody else. So it could be that you feel like you're too lazy. It can actually sometimes be things that you've been told directly. Uh, the problem with those beliefs is we never tend to question them, argue with them, disagree with them. You know, we grow up and the beliefs kind of sticks with us. Negative self-talk, we're going to talk about that a lot. Um, the reason we're going to talk about negative self-talk a lot is because that's the one that you personally can impact the most. At the end of the day, you are the, the number one relationship you have in this world is with yourself. So you, you can, you'll hear from me for an hour or two tonight, and hopefully I'll plant some nice little nuggets in your brain. But you're the one who's talking to yourself the rest of the time, the rest of today, the rest of tomorrow, and the rest of your life. And as to comparison to social media, TV, magazines, et cetera, we don't tend to compare ourselves to things that we're doing better than and go, ooh, I'm doing better than this person. Ooh, I did better than that. Ooh, I think I'm a bit prettier than them. Ooh, I think I'm a bit more funny than they are. Um, and the only time we do do that is when we go, well, I'm funnier than them. Why are they on TV and not me? That's the only time we compare when we say it's better. More often than not, we compare to things that we think of ourselves as worse than. Um, and we will cherry pick with that, by the way, we will really cherry pick even if we're if we're confident in our looks that day, we'll go and cherry pick on it being about our sense of humor or our ability to sing or whatever it might be. We'll even if we're doing well in one area of our lives, we'll we'll cherry pick with that. Now, when it comes to um, to this, to the positive things, um, basically the things that can positively impact our um, self-esteem compliments now that says when accepted why do i not have a second glass where is my second glass i don't know um i'll tell you what i'll go with i'll go with boba fett helmets instead because i've got weirdly i've got two of them just hanging around right now uh, this is my custom made one in my own personal colors and then <clears throat> this is the cheap one that i've had for about 50 years um so if i say to you this glass it's a glass not a boba fett helmet is uh, is water and this glass is poison which one would you accept if i offered them to you 
I'd like to think you'd all accept the water, even though the poison looks a little bit nicer, right? We all accept the water. We don't want to accept the poison. If I was to say to you, this is a compliment, this is an insult, now which one are you more likely to accept? Now, there'll be a few of you that can accept compliments, but I've just seen a couple of cheeky smirks in chat. So I know that there's a few of you that are actually silently answering, yes, I will accept the insults. If someone says something bad about me, I will accept it. I will take it to heart. I will carry it with me everywhere I go. If someone says something nice about me, well, maybe I'll just play it off. So if I turn around and say, oh, that's a really nice dress, you might go, oh, yeah, I got it in the sale. You know, it's like if you say, oh, if I turn around and say, oh, your hair looks really good today, what you might hear is the word today and go, do you mean my hair doesn't look good every day? You know, it's like, or, or like, you know, we, we don't accept compliments very well. And I think a lot of that comes back to the whole childhood beliefs thing again, which is, you know, you're brought up told to be humble. You're told to be, you're told, you know, to not show off, to not brag. There are other options of showing off and self-deprecation. This isn't a binary choice. There is a lot in between of these two places. And we quite often default into putting ourselves down so as to not appear to be boastful or bragging. Trust me, there is a huge range of options between those two options. Um, so compliments help us, but only when they are accepted. Positive self-talk. Absolutely. Um, this cheesy, cheesy line, I know, but speak to yourself like you would a friend. All right. Um, for anyone who, um, for anyone basically who was in Charlie's group when I was here last time, I don't, I'm not sure I recognize anybody actually, but, um, but for anyone who was in the group last time, we talked about this idea of the difference when you ask you, when, when someone else asks you what's wrong with me, you turn around and say, oh, nothing's wrong with you. You're an amazing friend. You're a good mom. You're, you're always funny. You're all, you know, you're, you're great to spend time with. Of course, when you ask yourself that question, what's wrong with me? We bring up everything bad about ourselves. We bring up everything bad we've ever thought about ourselves, everything bad that anyone else has ever said about us and anything that anybody else has ever said about us even though, I'm sorry, no one has ever said about us, but we know that they're thinking it. Like, you know, Sheila down the road thinks I'm an absolute beep. It's like, does she? Has she ever said that? No, but I know she's thinking it. So we have all of these things living in our heads, living in our head rent free. Other things that can pos positively help is mantras and affirmations. And then achievements or awards, they're, they're a huge one. Often we, off we look to achievements or awards um, to to make us feel good about ourselves. Like, you know, oh yeah, I could, you could be the best mom in the world, but getting a mom of a year award certificate, that'd like, you know, that'd make you really stand up and pay attention. You know, like getting a best dad in the world mug really made the difference for me, you know? So getting awards can very much help, right? And it can be a promotion at work. It can be, you know, it can be like winning staff member of the week or whatever. It can be all these different things. Now, the reason I call it a bank balance is because chances are, if you need self-esteem, you're in debt because you've been paying in with all of this stuff on the left-hand side of the screen your entire life. And you've probably not paid much in in terms of the other side. So you've sorry, you've been taken out by using the stuff on the, on the left-hand side and, pay, and you've not really been paying in with the stuff on the right-hand side. So as a result, by the time you get to the point of having a conversation with some dude called Mindset by Dave, official name on the passport, um, you you're at a deficit, right? You're at a point where you're in, you're in self-esteem debt. So me turning around and saying to you, I'll tell you what, just go to the mirror, right? And look at, right into your own eyes, like really uncomfortably like this and go, I love you. 
It's like, you know, probably not going to go straight in there. You know, you're probably not going to. And even if you do, it's going to feel like weird and squirmy. And it is because it's a little bit like speaking a different language. You've been speaking the language of self-deprecation ever since you were told to be to be humble. And you've not been speaking the language of self-love ever. Like, so therefore, when you try it out, you go, that guy on the internet said that I should speak to myself better. I'm going to go and do that. And you go off and try and say something nice to yourself. And it's like, uh, it's a little bit like when I refer to myself as a social media influencer. <laughs> Although Charlie's got more followers than I do now, so I'm upset. But um, so he's more of an insult. You say comparison. Ooh, it's horrible. Sketcher. But um, we've got to start actually paying into this bank balance. We've got to start actually giving ourselves that compliment. And the reason I say we start, we've got to start doing it ourselves. And the reason I'm focusing on the positive self-talk and I'm not so much focusing on the compliments or the achievements or awards is for one simple reason. The most important part about self-esteem is the first bit. It's self. You will have spent your, your, your early years looking for the approval of your parents. You will have spent the, then, then you will have been looking for the approval of your peers, your siblings, your teachers, your sports coaches, or your dance instructor, your music teacher. You may have even got to the point of being like a fully fledged adult like me and Charlie, and then gone and got yourself a mentor or something, and then started looking for their approval too. And, you know, almost certainly if you've ever been in a relationship, you've definitely wanted their approval. Um, on, on repeat over and over again. And it's not just a case for them to go, you know, you're amazing. And then you just go, right, they told me I'm amazing until they tell me something different. I'm just gonna assume I'm amazing. No, unless the compliments are coming, we do not, we do not keep rolling with them. We do not, we actually think we need to hear those affirmations because when it comes from somebody else, it's just esteem, it's not self-esteem. It's never gonna scratch the itch of self-esteem. It's more like a drug, right? It's like, I, and I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus on this one. And you don't have to, you don't have to minus the, uh, the private information on me, Charlie, because I'll really throw all my private information all over the stream. Um, my dad, my dad didn't love me. Um, my dad well never showed that he loved me. I don't know if he did. He might have done, but he didn't show it. Right? He, he very much favoured my brother. Um, and then when I, when, when my two little sisters came along, very much favoured them. So I had the whole brother thing to compare to. And then the younger sisters came along and had them to compare to as well. Uh, never really expressed his love to me, never really spent any time with me, didn't really want much to do with me. Um, and him and my brother used to actually really pretend that they used to pretend that I was invisible and that they couldn't see me um, or they could maybe hear a noise and the lot like, but not really. It's like, oh, did you hear something? No, I didn't hear anything. Um, this is literally why I've rebelled and I never shut up now, by the way. But um, but basically that was what they were like. And as a result of that, I never got to I never realized that, as I said, I didn't start looking after my mental health until I was way into my late twenties. And by that point, my dad had inconveniently gone and died. So I never got to kind of take all of this up with him. Instead, I just had like this whole craving to just get like my mentors, right. To just like, tell me well done, like a little pat on the head, metaphorically speaking, you know, like I just what I craved that. And I craved like my clients telling me I was a great, coach and all the rest of that because I was a PT before I was a coach those cravings were like just they were they were great when they were being solved there and then in the in the moments when I start, first started doing talks like this and honestly moving over to zoom was a bit weird because you don't get the big round of applause at the end but I like I used to love doing a talk in an auditorium and getting the big round of applause at the end and you'd think that this would scratch the itch but it didn't scratch the itch it didn't scratch the itch because I was looking for self-esteem, but I was looking for it from all of these external sources. And it wasn't until that I started 
So it wasn't until I started giving myself that validation that I actually finally stopped craving for that and stopped being dependent on those things coming. So there's a quote on the screen here, which says self-esteem does not come from anywhere else but yourself. If you do not love yourself, it does not matter who else does. But if you do love yourself, then it also does not matter who else does. Um, I would have put a name next to that quote, but it's a little bit self-indulgent because it's from me. But this is like, you know, when people say you've got to love yourself or no one else will love you. No, it's rubbish. <laughs> it's rubbish. Loads of people will love you before you can love yourself. Loads of them, you know, if you've ever had a partner or if you've got kids or, you know, you've got parents, they love you before you love yourself. Um, the difference is you won't feel that love. You won't accept that that love is real until you love yourself. So this is why I'll bang on about the, um, about the importance of actually of how we speak to ourselves. It is vitally important because, because ultimately that's where self-esteem comes from. Otherwise we're just going to get, we're just going to get esteem and it's just going to be that drug where we want it. Someone tells us something nice and then we go off to try and do something to impress them again, because it feels nice to get that something nice. And we keep on literally chasing after that whole thing. And it's, you know, it's one of those itches that the more you scratch it, the more itchy it gets. Um, and a lot of it comes down to like what it takes, what it means to be good enough. So basically, the big question I want you to all think about is what does it mean to be good enough? Now, the, other, the second part of that question is, is uh, where did that come from for you? Who, according to who? So often our ideas of what it means to be good enough. It comes from who we were trying to be good enough for when we were kids, right? And again, more often than not parents, but not always. I'm not like going full on like Freudian on it, you know? More often than not parents, we wanted to be good enough for them, for them, for that person. So for mine, my, my dad worked shift work and wanted and slept a lot during the day. So he wanted me to be quiet when he was at home. Then he moved out when I was six. And, um, and then my mom, when my dad moved out, started her own business and was working all day and also wanted me to be quiet. So for me, being quiet, looking after myself, being self-sufficient, that was what I thought it took to be good enough. So, which is why at 14 years old, when I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I dealt with that all by myself. Like, I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell my dad. I went off to the doctors. I got care for it. I was placed on mood stabilizers all by myself. And I looked after that to varying degrees until at 25, my mom finally found out because I had my first big meltdown in life. And, but this is the whole thing is that I felt that it meant being quiet, being out the way. That was what it meant for my parents. Now, thankfully for me, it meant the same for both of them. So there we go, just doing one thing. But what if you've got a parent that wants you to do one thing and another parent that wants you to do another what if you've got one that's like you know wants you to do well in school and the other one that wants you to have your room tidy at all times you know it's like you so now you've got two things that you've got to do in order to be good enough what if one of them really like focuses on your abilities in school on like academic subjects and the other one's all is all values how creative you are whether you know if there were multiple people multiple people you tried to be good for there's an expression i use which is you can do anything but you can't do everything and um we might have tried to do all those things and again we grow up but these beliefs don't grow up with us so as an adult you might still feel like you need to be everything for everyone um i would say statistically speaking about 60 percent of you are probably people pleasers um again no not 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 pointing any fingers um, just except for myself. 
But um, but you know there might have been multiple people that you were trying to be good for, and those things may have still like been there now. Now the big question is, um, and I will we'll do I'll I'll tell you what like we'll do a show of hands for this. Just do it like just you can just do the the react button because there's only about seven of you with cameras on. If you hit the react button with the hand up or the thumbs up, either re, either reaction. If if what it like what I want to know is is what it if it if it is what it takes for your loved ones to be good enough in your eyes put your hand up if they just are they don't need to do anything they just are by virtue of being themselves hmm. one two three four five oh, look there coming up coming up coming up coming up yeah exactly exactly so and um and this is this is the thing um is that we think that we need to do absolutely everything in order to be good enough for other people. But at the same, but if we think about what other people need to do to be good enough for us, they don't, they just do, you know, and my, you know, my two kids, right. My, like I've got, I've got a 15 year old and a soon to be 17 year old. Um, I know I don't look old enough, but thank you. Whoever said that in the back. Um, but basically they probably think that in order to be good enough for like my wife that they need to she likes the place being tidy and you know I, you don't want to see what the rest of this room looks like if I move the camera this is like the only room in the house where I'm allowed to be chaotic I'm not so fussed about that I just want them to kind of I want them to be a little bit more socially interactive with me and with each other and and such but that doesn't mean that they're not good enough for not doing those things. They are good enough for my wife without needing to when when the when they've not got their rooms tidy. They are good enough for me. Then that's just wanting those things for them as well. They don't that they are intrinsically their value is there, and this is something we need to think of because your value is there too. Your value is one hundred percent there. It's not there based on how useful you are. It's not there based on how much money you make or how good your mental health is it's not based on any of those things your value is just 100 percent all the time just by virtue of being you um and it is it's maybe it's time to reevaluate but the thing is don't if you if this is you if this if all of this feels a little bit too close to the bone right now i wouldn't worry about it too much because this is kind of everyone you know when i joked before saying that we think about what other people think about us even though they've never said it well, this was a, something first noticed by a guy called Thomas J. Cooley, and it's called the looking glass effect. And his saying is, and I'm, I'll say it twice because it's confusing as hell, is I am not what I think I am, and I am not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. So I am not what I think I am. I am not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. Let's put it this way. I have absolutely no idea what any of you think of me right now, right? And historically, like I would have let that completely nothing rule the show onto whether I actually come out and do this type of thing, right? Like I would like, and I used to, I very much relied on that in the, in the room when people were there in that whole three-dimensional space. I would read the room while I was talking and all the rest of it. And then I'd use their body language and their reactions as a way to gauge whether I was doing a very good job. All that processing power is kind of exhausting and takes you out of the idea of doing a very good job and essentially then makes you second guess absolutely everything and self-critical and all the rest of it. And so it's perfect. It's actually perfectly normal. 
But what we've got to understand is that we're not actually the best judge of what other people think about us, because we all think, we all tend to err on the side of negative. We all tend to think that the, what other people think about us is the worst thing that they think about us. So if your mum wanted you to have your room tidy when you were a kid, you might think that your mum thinks you're lazy because your room isn't tidy. And in reality, she doesn't think you're lazy. She just wanted your room to be tidy back then. We interpret this like, you know, someone in the room might look at us funny. And we, and that, you know, some, we internalize that as as being a threat or we internalize that as, as you know, got like, I don't know, cauliflower between my teeth or something. Um, it's broccoli that you get between your teeth and not cauliflower. Cauliflower wouldn't show up. In fact, if anything, it would make mine look a bit whiter. But, um, but basically... You, it's off, It's oftentimes down to the fact that that person's just feeling socially awkward or that person's like not wasn't sure where they were looking at the time or they were maybe just zoning out. I know like literally two, was it yesterday or the day before? I think it was the day before <laughs> and, um, my wife waved to me across the gym and between, between her and me was another person that had their back to her and then I waved back and then that person waved to me. Cause I, but I was waving to my wife that was behind him. And it was a very awkward moment for everybody involved, except for my wife, because she was just unaware this whole thing was happening. But this is the whole thing. We all, we always think that when we see, when we're in that mode of like being hypercritical of ourselves. So we always think that people are thinking the worst of us. And it, I, the exercise I say here is I am the kind of person who right, write a list of that, write a list of what you think it means to be good enough. Right. Like in your interpretation, not like what you think that you should think it means to be good enough. Not like, you know, all everyone in the mums group like goes to like Pilates six times a week and then also sends in freshly baked stuff for like everyone in school, whilst at the same time somehow working like a part time job and a full time job and and adopting children and like all of that. You know, you're not trying to compete with that person. You're trying to say, right, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for me? Um, and if that if that if that list is all the way up here and is impossible to reach, then maybe reevaluate it. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we want to go to bed feeling like we did a good job. We want to go to bed feeling like you know on top of things. Because an expression I like to use for this is we don't guilt ourselves into greatness. Um, we don't guilt ourselves into greatness. If we go to bed feeling like we've done a crap job, we wake up with lower motivation. That makes it harder to do a good job the next day. Doesn't doesn't help us along. It's called a guilt trip because it actually just trips you up. Doesn't help you get anywhere. Um, okay, so just a few recaps on this. Where are we in time? Oh yeah, we're doing all right. Um, I want to go back to this for a second and um, and just say there's things like mantras and affirmations, right? So I am. There's a type. There's a little type of. There's a little type of meditation that I do before I go to bed every single night. Um, uh, well, I say every single night, like in blocks of about six weeks, and then I forget it for one day, and then don't do it for six years or something. But you know how it is. Um, basically, I on the in breath I say I am, and on the out breath I say something I want to be or something I want to be more of. So I might say, I am strong. And I might just repeat that one word or I might go with a bunch of others. I actually, the one I, the one I say, I'll, I'll, I'll be a little bit honest with you. The one I say is I am attracting abundance. That's like my little one. You know, that's like, that's the one I like to go to sleep with. It either makes me feel pretty good or it sends me to sleep. So um, there we go. But basically it's actually saying those things to yourself. Now, start small, 
um start with like you know if, if you can't pick something that you love about yourself whether it's like your physical appearance or whether it's a talent or anything like that start with like a quality like if you're the type of person that's always there for your friends like you know you can literally say to them i love the fact that i'm always there for my friends i love the fact that i'm so kind i love the fact that i try my best with my kids i love the fact that you know i've got i'm a i'm a reliable friend I love the fact that I might not get everything done, but uh, but what I get done is enough. You know, like is is start giving yourself those type of self talks, because I bet. Um, in fact, actually, let's have a show of hands for this one. This will be fun. Uh, show of hands, anybody if they put like ten things on their to do list, uh, and they only get nine of them done, they obsess over the one thing that they didn't get done. I I'm I'm going to keep my hand down on this now because I've finally stopped doing this. But honestly, my hand's like they're just trying to go up at the minute. I, I, Charlie's put a shocked expression. I love it. Right. Take the hands down for a second. I want to, there's, there's, there'll be less of you on this one. Um, show of hands. Show, right, so now put your hand back up. If, if you got all 10 things done, you would turn around and say to yourself, I should have put 11 on the list. Oh, I've already got a few. Uh, oh. Charlie, you've got a group of perfectionists. <laughs> that is statistically above average. God, it's normally about two out of 10, maybe three. It's okay. the teachers, isn't it? Oh, good point. Oh, there we go. Actually, yeah. Dave, remember who you're talking to. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Oh, I'll have one more. Just one more because I'm having too much fun with this. Um, Hands up if you expect kids to get 11 out of 10 things done on their, on their to-do list. No one's putting their hands up. Lydia's is still up. Charlie's is still up. But Charlie doesn't teach anymore, so. <laughs> he just teaches adults now. Mm. So there we go. Your expectations for yourself. We know, right? We know. And actually, so I'm going to change this slightly. I don't know how on earth, when I've, every single time I normally, I'm normally like so, I'm, I'm normally so like laser focused right at what the pain point of teachers whenever I'm speaking to Charlie's groups. Um, yeah. So instead of speaking to yourself like a friend, speak to yourself like you would one of the kids. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to, if, if one of the kids fails at something, you're not going to be like, you're lazy. <laughs> you might think it inside your head, but you don't let the words get out. Right now, this is the, so when we're actually like that is think about it. Cause the reason you don't let the words get out is because you know what that would do to that child's self-esteem, or actually you now know that what that would do to their child's esteem, not their self-esteem. Um, it's their esteem, but, but that actually does feed into their internal dialogue, which becomes their self-esteem. So this is why we need to speak to ourselves like we would in a positive reinforcing way, in a way that you, you are, you're a bunch of master motivators um, that very nearly turn into something rude. Um, you're, but you're a bunch of master motivators, you know, you're like, that's, that's what you're there for. Um, so like, just, just, just teach yourself. There we go. Nailed it. Should have said that in one sentence and then just drop the mic, but we didn't. Um, so so basically the big thing is coming back to that positive self-talk right now it's gonna feel weird at first and that's okay because you're learning a new language right you're learning a completely different way of saying things and it's okay if it feels natural or sorry if it's okay if it feels unnatural little something little tip for you speaking to yourself like crap felt unnatural once too you were just too young to realize it 
you didn't really think about it. We don't think about how we learn to speak English, do we? Because we're not really learning. We're just being immersed in it. And it comes to us naturally. It doesn't actually come to us naturally because if it was to come to us naturally, we'd get it without anybody else speaking to us. It would be automatically in our brain. It doesn't. It come, we are taught it. Just like, and so we are taught to speak to ourselves like crap. Now it's time to teach, it's time to teach ourselves to speak to ourselves well. Cool. Right. Before we move on, I'm going to have a little look in the chat uh, and see if there's anything questioning uh, about questioning about this. No, it's just a lot of hellos. That's cool. Um, it's, it's, does anybody have, has anyone, anybody got a question? If you have got a question, you want to jump in with it now about self-esteem, you can just unmute yourself. How important is the mirror? Am I allowed? Yeah, of course you are. Um, yeah, so we when you're because I've 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 done this a couple of times, and like you say, it feels icky is yep. the best word I can use. Um, the whole mirror, the whole looking at yourself, is that a big part of it? I don't particularly like looking at myself anyway, just ever, really. I'm not I'm not one of those people who walks past the mirror and kind of does a double take and then looks at themselves. I, I don't even like looking at myself on, on here. So the whole looking to yourself in the mirror, is that part of it? Um, all right, it's not, not a hard and fast rule. It's not an always. It's helpful, and it's helpful for a lot of people, and it can be very, very powerful for a lot of people. Um, and a lot of people cry the first time they do it, which is a bit of a signal that you know there was a bit of a blockage there. Um, so it, it's, it can be very powerful. It can be very transformative. Um, it's similar. I say it's similar to a lot of the tools that you use in coaching. You know, in, it's like there are measurement tools in personal training, right? Some of those things are really helpful to some people. Some of them aren't to others. Um, I would say to try it. But the reason I bang home about it being icky and it being hard and all the rest of it is because you actually, it, no matter what you do, when you do a different version of this, it's going to feel unnatural. I know you've heard me make the analogy before. It's like teaching someone to squat that's already learned to squat, but badly. You know, you put their hips and their knees in the right position and it feels wrong. It feels unnatural. And you actually have to get beyond that point at which it feels unnatural before it starts feeling natural. Um, so yeah, I would say, it, it, I'd say it can help, but like when you look in the mirror, if it, it if it's the, the actual, the, the fact of looking in the mirror on its own, that's one thing, but it's, if you, if you get in there and it's when you're trying to say things to yourself, start smaller. So again, just like, just even if it's like, I like the fact that I gave some time, extra time for my clients this evening. Do you know what I mean? Like just start, even if it starts with you like what you are for other people before you're able to say that you like who you are for yourself. Um, yes, it's but but um, it's not a hard and fast rule, no. Anyone else? Or shall we carry on? So um, I'll basically normally normally what I do is when I, when I pair this one is I normally pair this one with um, with with body image and so I'm just going to wrap that one up really in a small space and just say you're all dead sexy deal with it um, and there you go body image is now fixed by some dude on the internet um, <sighs> but similar it's similar sort of things actually so anxiety this is a, this is a fun topic um, it's not scary at all. So what is, what is anxiety? We're going, to, we're going to break it down a bit today. We're going to talk about what different kinds of anxiety there are, who can get it, how it feels, and how it can be helped. And yes, it can be helped. 
so what kinds of anxiety are there? Phobias and panic disorders. Um, they are a type of anxiety. Social anxiety uh, and health anxiety are two of the most, most regular ones. Uh, and generalized anxiety disorder. There are more. OCD is technically classed as a form of anxiety, but it's currently being assessed as to whether or not it should be. It's so very different. Um, but usually um, there's that there's a lovely word which I can't stand, uh, which is comorbidities. Like most conditions have anxiety. Most mental health conditions will come with some sort of anxiety as a comorbidity. Um, we're going to look a little bit more in detail at social anxiety today, but I want to talk briefly about generalized anxiety disorder before we move on. Generalized anxiety, if you are anxious about things on a regular basis, um, more, most other types of anxiety, you know what you're anxious about, right? So you're, you're going into the worst case scenario, you're thinking ahead and you're thinking about like how, what could possibly go wrong? It's that for anyone who's of the right generation, and there's a few that are far too young, but still it's the Dr. Pepper. What's the worst that could happen advert? You know, it's like where the sooner you, your brain goes, oh my God, I've got a job interview. Imagine if they ask me a question to tell them a funny story and I suddenly go blank. I can't talk to them. And I'm like, uh, uh, and my mouth's like cotton and then I look down and all my clothes are gone. You know, it's like, that's that's what we get anxious over. We get anxious over the worst case scenario. No one is getting anxious over, what if I go into the job interview and they really love me and offer me an extra 10 grand a year? That's quite anxiety inducing, you know? It's like, it's not like, what if I turn up and do this talk and you all love me? It's like, what if I turn up and do this talk and I just totally forget what to say? halfway through it that's the type of thing you get anxious over generalized anxiety disorder is a little bit different than that and the easiest way to describe it whilst we're talking to a, you know some like basically a group that's come through a, a a trainer a coach is to think of it like a muscle your um your amygdala in particular the part of your brain that is responsible for your fight your flight or flight fight or flight response when you basically do when you when you do anxiety <laughs> yeah just do it i'm just going to sit down and do some anxiety um but when i when you have anxiety when you experience anxiety your amygdala gets pumped up like a muscle and um you, has anyone's ever had that thing where like they've done a lot of training and you 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 know you're there and your arm just goes <laughs> it's like that's generalized anxiety disorder it's your amygdala just literally tensing on its own if you've ever had that thing where you know where one of your muscles just starts randomly twitching like that's that's this um and basically it's if you are generally speaking people don't start with generalized anxiety disorder um they start with other types of anxiety and by being progressively anxious over longer periods of time their brain just gets used to being anxious is the easiest way to describe it uh and as a result that person can get anxious over nothing like just just because just because that's what my brain does so that's kind of like the the main ones that you're likely to come across um and we are we are going to talk about how to sort a few of them out a big important thing that, with that with with anxiety first of all i have social anxiety and here i am cracking jokes to you lot on a presentation so it is something that you can actually learn to live with um it's more normal. It's a lot more normal than you think. So a lot of us have that space in our brain of what if people find out, right? Chances are actually, if you open up about anxiety, more often than not, someone else in the room will be like, oh my God, me too. <laughs> you know, it's like, it turns out that we're actually, it's, uh, it's quite common. 
definitely doesn't mean that you're weird. This comes back to the self-talk thing that we were talking about before. It's very easy that when you start being anxious, an anxious brain will talk to you in a slightly different way than a non-anxious brain. It will talk to you in ways that sustain your anxiety. And like saying things like, you're just dead weird. You're really weird. Everybody's looking at you. Everybody's staring at you. No, like it'll say those types of things. No, you're not weird. You, you, you've, you know, you, this, is, this is significantly more common than you might think. And in fact, actually, it is a variation of an evolutionary beneficial thing, which is your fight or flight response. That was there to deal with threats. Um, so yeah, many people will understand um, and a lot of celebrities have it too as well. So it's like, there are a lot of people out there in this world that are able to be successful um, if celebrity equals successful to you. Um, doesn't necessarily to me, but um, but basically there are a lot of people out there that have this in this world, like that are actually able to go on and have perfectly normal lives whilst, uh, whilst struggling with it. Um, in terms of what it can feel like. So it feels a lot like racing thoughts faster heart rate, shaky hands, shallow breath, sweaty hands, um, want to run away, vomit on your sweater already, mom's spaghetti. Um, it feels a lot like that, basically. Now, there's a few, there's two other things in the world that feel like that. One of them is being highly caffeinated, and I'm serious. Um, as I suffer with anxiety, I notice when my anxiety is flaring up. It feels almost exactly the same. If I don't go into the thoughts, the feelings in my body go into the exactly the same when I am overly hyped up on caffeine. And I remember I just before, like a Christmas liftoff about, um, about four or five years ago. And I was an Olympic lifter at the time. We were doing all of it. We were doing our, our, our maxing out the weekend before Christmas. Um, and I went in, basically had, had me shot of grenade 50 cal which is strong gas, bloody pre-workout, um, had that before doing my snatch. And uh, then about an hour and a bit later, once the four of us had all kind of worked our way up to a one rep max on the, on the snatch, I'm like, huh, oh, feel like I've worn my caffeine off a little bit, which I haven't because that's not how caffeine works. It doesn't disappear in an hour doing like four lifts. But hey-ho, I was like, yes, I really want to go big on my clean and jerk. So I had another shot of grenade 50 cal. And whilst I had something to do, i.e. the clean and jerk, it was all fine. Um, and then as soon as that finished, I had the biggest panic attack of my entire life and ended up in hospital. And there was no real anxiety. I was just like, the world just felt wrong because every signal in my entire body was, was giving me feedback that felt like the worst anxiety I'd ever had. So that's one thing. The other thing is that excitement feels like that. Racing thoughts, faster heart rate, shaky hands. Shallow breath, sweaty hands. Um, all of that, that's that's excitement for you. You can be excited. The very big difference on this is excitement is something that you want to run towards. Anxiety is something that you run or want to run away from. So the big key on all of this is actually when you find yourself having that feedback is to say, okay, is to ask yourself, am I anxious? Am I excited? Have I had six shots of espresso? You know, it's like it's like you're asking yourself this question so that you can define it in your own head in that moment. And um, is there anything I'm excited for? So, like, if you are like anxious about going and asking somebody out, it could be that you're excited about going and asking them out. You know, if you're anxious about going on a roller coaster or whatever, it could be that you're excited about going on it. Um, and that's why a lot of people can be excited about things that they would otherwise be sorry, anxious about things that they otherwise be excited for. So yeah, it's just bearing in mind that it can feel like those things. So again, with the exception of with the exception of um, generalized anxiety disorder, 
how it works is in what's called a positive feedback loop. And a little bit like COVID, positive really means negative. You know, if you get a positive test, it's a negative thing. A positive feedback loop in anxiety is not a good thing. It is a negative thing because what positive means is that each piece, each section in the loop reinforces the next section and it keeps on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, so we start with so we can you can actually start off with any of these, but it tends to start off with anxious thoughts. So I'll throw myself under the bus here, right? I'm going to, my anxious thought could be I'm going to mess up this talk, right? Um, now that can lead into anxious feelings. Those anxious feelings are things like faster breath, um, feeling clammy and uncomfortable. Um, I am not feeling clammy or uncomfortable. I'm just feeling fidgety, but that's just because I don't like being sat at a desk. Um, but it could leave me to feeling like clammy, fast breathing, fast breathing tends to then, then, then that tends to lead into rushing to get through my speech and that'll increase my mistakes. Now, again, this isn't so much of an issue whilst I'm in this room because you're all on a screen over there. So if you see me looking over there, I can see you. If you see me looking here, I can see me, which is kind of weird. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to make eye contact with all of you, but uh, I'm actually just making eye contact with myself. So... How you doing? Your beard's looking nice today. Um, see, there we go. Back to the self-esteem stuff. But basically, if I was, if I go back into a room historically, then I would basically give that speech. I'd be like, "Oh crap! I don't, I don't want to mess this up. Um, I can I don't want to mess this up. I'm, I'm really anxious that I'm gonna, that this is all gonna go horribly wrong. And then as soon as I start thinking about it going wrong, I start feeling as if it is. And if I let that anxiety into now, it starts rushing, bringing my speed, my breath up, and it starts making me feel a little bit more clammy, making me feel a little bit more jittery. That then causes me to rush my speech. And when I rush my speech, my um, my mouth goes faster than my brain does. Now also something else is going on the prefrontal cortex while the amygdala is all fired up giving you anxiety the prefrontal cortex is like <laughs> quiet as a mouse you know it's like so it's not telling you the words you want to say and the more you try and rush the faster you go ahead of what you're saying the more mistakes you make now when i make those mistakes that leads into more anxious thoughts it leads into oh you're really screwing this up now and everybody noticed that i've made about 16 mistakes so far in this sentence um, but everybody's going to notice that they're all going to worry you know, they're all, they're all going to think you're absolutely useless and then if we go back to having the feedback in the room of seeing people that he's looking at me like ah oh, what's he on about like seriously um now that just makes me feel even more anxious and start feeling even more panicky breathing might start getting really shallow at that point to the point at which then not only am i rushing but i can't even catch my breath so i'm missing words and then i'm making more mistakes and i'm just feeling like i want to get through it and then again this just leads back around to even more anxious thoughts which can then ultimately lead to me wanting to leg it out the room because it's like this is going so badly this is i've made so many mistakes that i just feel completely utterly you know that all that going back to those thoughts like everybody's looking at me they're all you know we start thinking even more of these things and the, as it goes round and round and round each stage gets progressively worse and worse and worse now that's the doom and gloom part the good news is it can be interceded with you can actually you can actually do something what's, what's your hand up for charlie i wanted to quickly jump in and say that as you were talking there the one thing that came into my mind was lesson observations right or talking in a staff meeting yeah. or, or talking to parents that's exactly how I felt pretty much for all those things for like eight years. <laughs> yep. Yep. In fact, if anyone's ever been um, to, to like a, like a group 
like um cpd thing i mean you're all in a group cpd thing now it's like um, imagine i'd have made you all introduce yourself at the beginning the funny part is like when you're in one of those groups and you don't really know anyone else in the room the most hilarious thing is that you spend all this time in your own head thinking about what you're going to say so that other people don't so you don't make a show of yourself in front of everybody else that you don't hear what anybody else says and they're all doing exactly the same thing. So no matter what you say, no one's going to hear it anyway, unless you're last and then you're screwed. But um, <laughs> someone's going to go in and be last and be like, damn you, Dave. Why did you put that in my head? But seriously, um, and that was, I remember one of my CPD meetings about six years ago. That was my intro. Because I, I realized that, I realized like halfway through, I'm like, I've not heard a word that anybody said. And I was just like, I just said, can I just ask something before I introduce myself? Is there, was everybody else just totally in their own head and hasn't and can't remember anyone's intros? And I'm like, and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, were you worried that you know yours was going to be a mess up and everyone was saying the same thing? It's bizarre, but it just it just you just end up going round and round and round. And it, and I used to actually really wind up the people in in my on my course because I not deliberately because this same thing would happen in exams and I would just go in and just sit there and relax while we were waiting to go into an exam. And then the rest of the room's got all this nervous energy and they're trying to cram things in the last minute. And I know that like the more you try and do that, the more your anxiety is going to kick in. It's going to take, it's going to take control away from your prefrontal cortex, which is, which is where all your thinking comes from. And it's instead of getting extra information in there, it's going to make you forget things that you should have said, or you should have written down in the exam. So the good news about this, though, is it is possible to interact with. Now, it's very, very difficult to deal with anxious feelings because feelings are generally a reactive thing, right? Feelings are things that happen to you as opposed to thing, you know, you know, no, most people aren't choosing to have feelings, although you, you actually can choose to have feelings, but that's an entire different talk. Um, Anxious thoughts, okay, they're a little bit more easy to interact with. But at the same time, you've probably got two or three voices, usually your own, um, running on in your head at any one given time, saying different things. Uh, and it can be quite hard to interact with those. It can be very hard to tell yourself this is going really, really well when all of that feedback is telling you it's not. So it's a little bit easier than the feelings to uh, to deal with, to change the thoughts. The easiest one, though, and I say easiest, not easy, because uh, it's still kind of difficult, but it's possible, is to deal with the anxious actions. So whenever I find myself in this loop, and it does still happen, like I've 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 turned up to I've turned up to places where the slides don't work, or I've turned up to things where like I turned up to one last week where I was expecting six candidates and there was 30. Actually, I'm lying. That didn't make me anxious. It made me, I loved it. But um, but basically it's but things like that can happen. There's um, you know, like I got into I got in a car accident on the way to a talk once, and then by the time I got to the talk, I was 15 minutes late and like just completely utterly flustered. And the answer is always to take a breath and to slow down, because when we take a breath and slow down, we first of all having a breath gives reduces that amygdala a little bit, reduces that flight flight response a little bit, um, and allows and allows the attention to come back to that prefrontal cortex. But at the same time, it also it also allows us to access this, like allows our words to come out not faster than their mouth. Like it's not much faster than your brain's going. So you don't end up like making as many mistakes. On top of that, is that we're not Italians that need to be all like, yeah, like in the feature of his face, because the second we leave a split second of space in the conversation, somebody else is going to start talking. In most conversations, people will let you take a breath. 
or even, I don't know, a sip of water. And in most situations, when you take a nice deep breath, slow your words down and start speaking more methodically, people tend to actually sit up and take notice a lot more. You've got time to think about what you want to say. People will lean forward, and one of you has just done it. I won't say who. Um, but one, like people will lean forward and actually really start paying attention. And then they'll start like nodding along because they, they, they can understand every word that you're saying. You're not making mistakes. And what, you say, what you're saying suddenly sounds more impactful and impressive because you're taking your time with it. So you end up now getting a positive feedback loop in the other way. People start giving you that feedback. You start going, oh, this is doing all right, actually. When you start thinking this is going all right, actually, those feelings start to subside. And then because those feelings subside, you can breathe a little bit easier again and you can talk a little bit clearer again. And you might even suddenly then get the space to throw in a cheeky joke or whatever because you just your brain's now got time to actually think on its feet. So you can break you can break that loop by going to the anxious actions. Slow down, take a breath, and then reassess the situation. Rather than, and I, the way I say it, especially when it comes to public speaking, your job is not to get through it. Your job is to get through to people. So my job is not to get through this and it be a whistle-stop tour and, you know, all the rest of it. It's my job is to impact you. That's what I'm here for. So that's hopefully what I'm going to do. Um, so we're going to do, we're going to talk about that in reference to social anxiety now. So that was kind of a performance anxiety. And again, you'll all have to do that at various points in the sort of type of things that Charlie's just mentioned. Then, you know, you might have to address the year. You might have to have meetings with the head. You might have to have meetings with parents. You know, um, parents evening itself might be a little bit like that. Difficult situations with difficult pupils. Um, my actual, like one, one, one big chunk of my day job now is actually teaching mental health in a, in a local NHS trust um in schools and i you know we see we see regularly uh the difficulties that teach. i've actually got a lot of respect and a lot of empathy and a lot of sympathy for teachers because i get to go in and just like talk and be like a performer for an hour and then their kids are all like oh this is so good i'm so glad you're talking about this and then the teachers have to deal with that kid on a daily basis you know so i've got endless respect for teachers um <clears throat> So social anxiety and, and social anxiety, this will be one of the key ones that you'll have come up in your classes. Um, so social situations can be difficult for many people, uh, but social anxiety is not just difficulty with social situations. It basically means a person will be overwhelmingly fearful or avoidance of social situations and deeply or deeply uncomfortable when in them. Uh, and it's often based on this worst case scenario again. So to go through the loop that we've just gone through there, is the thought is no one will want to talk to me. And then feelings tell them to come in of being self-conscious, shy, uncomfortable. And then the actions, staying away from people, being on the phone, closing off body language, appearing unapproachable, etc. So like, where's my hoodie? <laughs> you know, most people, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll be at the party and if they don't think anyone's going to talk to them, they'll sit there in the corner, the hood up, the, uh, the headphones are in, and then they'll be like this with that, angle on the neck that we're all terrified of that you know i keep on telling my 15 year old about because he likes being tall but he's not going to be tall for long if he keeps on doing that 
Um, so like we'll be there on the corner. We'll make, we'll create this barrier between us. And um, there's an expression I like to steal from Kung Fu Panda on this, which is often we meet our destiny on the path we choose to avoid it. We're so worried that no one's going to talk to us that we put these barriers up in front of us. Now, I don't know about you, but if you go into a party, the person that's like chatting away um, by the punch bowl, eating some nachos or whatever, that's the person that you gravitate towards. You don't gravitate towards the person that sat on the chair in the corner, like staring at their phone. So this goes through the loop. No one comes and approaches the person, which literally then goes, ah, see, I told you, told you, no one will talk to you. See, you've been here. And usually that person's intimately aware of exactly how long they've been there. I arrived at 8.01 and it's 8.17 now. I've been here for seven, 16 minutes and nobody's approached me. And then that makes the person feel even more shy, even more introverted. They might even take themselves off into a different room, go and sit in the bathroom for a little bit, you know? Um, and then, the, so like, yeah, that's that's a good place for people to approach it in the private sanctuary of the toilet. Um, so no one approaches them in the toilet and then they, they're sat on their phone and it's like, and then no one's, oh no, I'm, I've, been, I've, I've been out of the room for like 20 minutes and no one's even texted me or anything. Yeah, because all your friends are literally out there enjoying themselves rather than being on their phones. So no one approaches you. Uh, and then again, that goes around the loop again. Feelings come back even more intensely. Person decides to leave the party. And again, they'll probably again go and sit at home alone, looking at it on Snapchat, looking at it on Instagram, looking at whatever everybody else is doing at that party. And um, so as a result of that, it just ends up in this loop. And now, again, we go back to the actions. And this for someone with social anxiety, making that first, making that first approach is difficult. That I say to that person, well, I'll tell you what, instead of waiting for someone else to talk to you, how about you go and talk to them first? It's a big ask. It's a very, very big ask. Um, you know, it's going to go from that whole, um, we, we might be asking in the realms of near, if not totally impossible here. Um, but the best approach I've actually personally found to it comes down to what's at the bottom here, which is a big fear of what is people find out I have social anxiety. Uh, I felt that for years and um, it would often cause issues between me and my wife because my social anxiety didn't really cause me much issues when I was single because I just left parties whenever I felt like it. That was it. I'd just be like, <laughs> I don't like this anymore. See ya. Uh, and then I didn't feel so trapped. And because I didn't feel trapped, I never felt like I, like, like I wanted to throw up or run away or anything like that. I mean, I did want to run away. I left. But um, And then once I started seeing my wife, she's like full on social butterfly. I've got like four friends and she's got like a million. And, um, and like my social battery runs dry very, very quickly. But um, so we'd be at parties and then I'd want to leave, but she always wanted to be the straggler, last one on the dance floor. This is one thing that's got a little bit easier now that we got older as well, actually. But um, and that caused a lot of problems between us in the early part of the relationship because I wasn't at that point admitting to the fact that I had social anxiety. Like I was just the pain in the ass that wanted to go home early or like the party pooper or whatever. She didn't realize how much what it was what it was causing for me and none of my friends did because i mean i've got bipolar disorder and i'm 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 you know i'm a reasonably entertaining person again thank you to whoever it is in the back that keeps on saying all these things you're really helping with my self-esteem today um so as a result i i can be the life and soul of a party right so so no one ever expects it of me therefore nobody makes the work with me and on the days when i can't do the like when I, on the days when i can't be that person because my social anxiety is through the roof then it it caused problems. People would be like, why are you so moody? Why are you so off? What's wrong with you? That question, you know? Um, 
so I actually opened up and told all of my friends. Uh, I lost one or two, but but I told all of my friends and I said, look, you know, I've got social anxiety. I find it actually really hard to be in social situations a lot of times. Um, so is it so this started with me telling my wife and then my wife and then basically what we said when we were going to parties or anything like that, she's like, look, we can leave whenever you want. And the weird thing was saying we can leave whenever we want you want suddenly made me not want to leave because I knew that I could if I wanted to. So therefore, I was actually much more comfortable being one of the stragglers with her because um, it was just made let me know that it took it took about 20 percent out of the anxiety um and then with my friends i basically just say look i'm not feeling feeling it tonight so if i'm a little bit uncomfortable if i'm a little bit awkward if i'm not making much conversation just know it's not about you it's it's how i'm feeling and like literally all my friends just tell me i say like no worries no problem i'll make more of an effort with the conversation i'll ask you know i'll ask questions or they'll introduce me to people rather than having me do it myself because they know how how difficult it is for me so, so a good way of doing this is you have got that one friend that you can kind of like that you can approach and you can talk to is get them is tell them about it, tell them how you're feeling and see if they can be that sort of middleman for you, you know, be if they can basically introduce you around, help you out with conversations, ask you questions, because often it's easier to respond to a question than be the one opening the question. So yeah, that's just a few a few things in terms of social anxiety. Now there's a, this this now there's a few kind of things um, in terms of is this the second to last slide or the last one? Because I want to make sure I get everything in on this slide that's supposed to be there. Yes, it is. Ignore that. Um, so as as for how can we help, there are a lot of actual different ways that you can actually help with anxiety. Breathing techniques are amazing for anxiety, um, but. But basically, the key thing with breathing techniques for anxiety is the ones that they'll try and teach you are cool if you kind of feel okay already. So there's a big one called square breathing. And I love square breathing, right? Don't get me wrong. It's amazing. With square breathing, you draw a square in the air and there are four steps to the breath, right? There's not just two steps to a breath. There's four steps to a breath. There's the in-breath, there's the hold, there's the out-breath, and then there's another hold. So you hold full lungs and you hold empty lungs. And the idea of a square breathing is you get to a four second, you get to a four second um, breath, a four second on every part of the square. So you breathe in, you'd hold, you breathe out, and you'd hold. It is an absolute miracle I can do that when I'm this amped up. Um, Normally, if I'm in the middle of a talk, I actually can't get all four seconds and all of it. But and that's this, and that's worth knowing because an anxious person actually often can't. And the worst thing you can do for someone who's anxious is set them a task that they're going to fail at because if they're already going through that loop, I can't do this, I can't handle this. You say it's okay, just do your square breathing, and they go okay, one, two, <laughs> and then the, then we're back into the loop. I can't handle this. I can't even do the breathing technique. If you even try and say, and as empathetic and as lovely as this might sound, if you even say, look, try and breathe with me, you're not anxious and they are, so you're going to be able to breathe better than they can. That's like you know being great at chess. And like when a kid's just learning how the, you know, let's call it the horse because they don't even know it's called a knight yet. You know, they're learning how the horse he moves and you're like, it's all right, just play me. It's like, it's not going to, you know, it's like, if you go like with your full abilities rather than playing it down for them, you know exactly what it's going to do. So it's the same thing here is like you breathe, you breathe in night as like now what I would say, what I say to people and what I would say to you is just try and make the breath that you're on longer than the last one. So if you're full on hyperventilating and you're like, <laughs> and you make your next breath, 
And then after that, you make the next breath. And then you try and bring those pauses in. So it's. And if you keep on working on that, even when you're breathing very, very shallow, you can get from that to where you want to be. You can get to that square breathing. You're just not going from A to Z. You're going from A to B to C to D, you know, like, and so on and so forth. You're just taking each breath as slightly, as slightly longer than the last. Um, visualization can work for some people. Imagine, imagine basically as you breathe, I think it's in, you've got a feather in front of you. As you breathe in, the feather lowers. As you breathe out, the feather raises. And um, there's a really cool video game called Celeste that actually teaches that technique in the game. It's cool. Um, so that's one way of that. That's a couple of things that you can do with breathing techniques. Square breathing being one of the more optimal ones, but most people can't get go straight from hyperventilating to that. Mindfulness, a couple of different forms of mind. First of all, mindfulness, um, it's, it's getting, it, got, it got so overused for a little bit that everyone kind of like thinks like, oh, just bloody mindfulness again. There are a lot of ways that you can be mindful, okay? Um, I do mindfulness in the gym quite regularly. Uh, and if I don't do mindfulness in the gym, I check my phone too regularly. So I have to do mindfulness in the gym. Mindfulness in the gym is literally thinking about what muscles are moving whilst they're moving them. So doing a lat pull down and actually thinking about muscles moving, the shoulder blades depressing and all the rest of that. Um, you can listen to music mindfully. So you can sit and listen to a piece of music and try and pick out everything that's in it. There's one called the five, four, three, two, one, and I never get this the right way around. Let's see if I can do it. It's usually five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can touch, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. You connect with all five. It's maybe not those senses in that order, but you basically, um, you, you start looking and connecting with different things in the room. Anxiety pretty much always relies on a future projection of what can go wrong, like we said before. Um, so, so if you actually bring yourself into now in the moment that you're actually in, it can be very, very helpful. Um, also distraction techniques can be very, very good. So actually going through the alphabet and trying to name a country with every letter or trying to name a song that starts with every letter or a movie that starts with every letter. What you are doing is you are saying, you're, you're telling the language center of your brain, you're giving it a different task to distract it from the task of telling you all of those worst case scenarios. Um, talking to friends and family with this, you want it to kind of be people that don't make you feel worse when you talk to them. So don't think that everybody's going to fill that gap. <laughs> there will be ones that fill it better than others. Uh, writing down your feelings um, like that can be good, a, a good way of getting them out of your head. There's a, something basically talking and writing. So they work. They work in a similar way, even though they work different um, with a similar way is that when we're thinking things and they go on that loop we're not we're not interjecting with that loop whereas actually verbalizing them like the process of our of our thoughts being turned into the mechanical actions of our mouth to speak to somebody takes a different type of processing the same as the, the, the process of changing our thoughts into the mechanical action of writing um that also does it theoretically it does it with typing as well but i've personally found that writing on an actual piece of paper seems to work a little bit better than typing uh, listening to music again you can do that mindfully uh, and then the juggling ball trick the, the juggling ball trick do i have a juggling ball anywhere around in this room i'm just gonna have to throw something instead so the juggling ball trick um this uses that same principle i'll just i'll just deactivate my headphones for a second so that i can actually move around a little bit oh my god he stands up right let's uh let's get this 
No, come back, camera. Come back. Okie doke. No, what you get for being back. so tall, Dave? Okay, cool. Um, so that's a weird angle that I've never seen myself on before. Um, so basically, the juggling ball trick. Our anxious minds rely. Um, is the microphone still okay, by the way? Can you hear me enough? Yeah, sweet, because I'm ages away from it. Um, but our anxious brain relies on the language center of our brain in order to work. And, the, and it, the, the language center of our brain and the movement center of our brain do not like working at the same time. This is why, like, if you're doing something complicated, like drive, like driving your car, if it's something that you've done, like a route you've done a million times, you can have a conversation. But you're definitely not having a conversation while you're reversing into a bay. You know, it's like, shut up, I need to see better. You know, it's like, you can't, you basically, we can't do that, right? Same as when you really focus on an exercise, like yoga and stuff, you wouldn't really want to talk to anybody. Um, so what we do with this, and now I can talk and do this at the same time because I've done this like a million times. But what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to create a Newton's cradle with our arms. So one hand's got the thing, which in this instance is a little light. Um, that hand's going to move. The other hand is going to stay perfectly still in the middle. Right, until the hand comes to it. So you're making this great big sweeping arch. Now, just like with the breathing, at first, you're gonna be all erratic and be like this, and you've gotta try and force it to be as big and as smooth as possible, right? You've gotta force it to be these big loops. Now, what you'll find is after about 20 or 30 seconds of doing this, your anxiety will actually reduce, will actually reduce. Now, at this stage, that's like level one. That's level one. You can carry on doing this for a bit. Um, that's level one. And now level two is a little bit more extreme, but what you do is once your anxiety is reduced, you then start thinking about everything that was just making you anxious. I know, sounds like a really bad idea, right? But you can't put out fires if there's no fire to put out. So what you do is you make yourself think about whatever it was that was just making you anxious. That's gonna make your anxiety go back up again. Sounds like a bad idea, but you've got a tool that can bring it down. So once the anxiety's back up, off you go again with this, right? 20 or 30 seconds again. And you keep repeating that process. You, once, once your anxieties come down and things are nice and calm, you then bring, you then basically bring it, bring it, think about your anxiety again, bring it back up again, and then bring it back down again using the technique over and over again. It could take three times, it could take seven times, it could take 14 times, it doesn't matter. But what you will find each time is that the anxiety lowers a little bit more and it doesn't go up as high so you might be on nine the first time you do it and it goes down to four actually i should have done nine to five shouldn't i what a way to make a living you know but anyway it starts on nine goes to five yeah um and then you make yourself anxious again and it only goes to eight and then when you bring it down again it goes to like four or three then when you do it up again it only goes to like six and then comes down to two only goes to four and then then the next thing you know after a few goes round of it you will find that the anxiety is just completely <laughs> completely gone i'm never getting that back in the position that it was in before am i that'll do that's new um so now i thought this was utter nonsense when i learned about it because i thought it can't possibly be that easy to uh, reduce anxiety so i volunteered to be a demo person for it and i was shocked by how well it worked it was just absolutely amazing um so uh, I would honestly recommend and rec I'd recommend trying it out with the kids in class as well. 
uh, like like maybe teach it to them like one at a time when there's no one else watching because I've actually I used to love teaching this to people and then when I started doing it in groups it's very weird once there's an audience it's like people like suddenly become very self-conscious about that but um it's it's great and if you do, if you do teach it in groups I often take like a bag of juggling balls with me so everyone gets like a juggling ball to try it out with and um so yeah but one more thing before we move on from here where are we in time oh, i only went over a little bit um only 20 minutes that's not so bad for me um but um one more thing is something i call a youtube analogy and um basically the the way that this works is very much like it's like a tv right but to, for, again for the kids we'll call it it's like youtube uh, you can't but it's a tv you can't necessarily turn off you can only change the channel on so there's always going to be things going on. There's always going to be things playing up here. If there's something playing up there that you don't like, you can change the channel. You can put something else on. If you were to come home and you hate, let's say you hate horror movies and you were to come home and there was a horror movie on your TV, you've got a choice. You can sit down with popcorn and go, oh, I hate this. Or you can change it over to something that you actually like. And um that's that you can actually do that in your head i did actually say earlier you can actually choose to feel something different and i said that was going to, that was a completely separate talk oops i've just shoehorned it in here um basically whatever we think about whatever we relive or whatever we project into we feel we feel like now every now and then you'll get like maybe one out of 100 people or so that can't visualize um but if you've ever had a memory of the past come back and make you feel depressed or sad or embarrassed about what you did you can um if you've ever had something of the future that hasn't happened yet pop into your head and make you feel anxious in the moment you can you can visualize um and the expression i use for this is negativity comes uh, negativity comes natural but positivity takes practice Right. Why I call it a YouTube analogy is because your brain will constantly feed you with up next, up next, up next. You've just sat and watched Dave Cox up for 45 minutes. You definitely like this. Therefore, up next is here's Dave's cock ups for 2023. They haven't happened yet, but here's what a writer predicts they'll be. Um, and it'll show you that. And then I'll sit there just like panicking about the fact that I'm never going to be the speaker I want to be. Um, and it'll make me feel useless. Or I can sit there and go, hey. What about if I search for like Dave's highlights? Let's have a look, a look at that. And first thing that comes up is me with blonde tips when I was 18. All right, it was fashionable at the time, okay? But the first, but then what comes up is things that I've done well in, times that have been successful. One that I really like watching in my head is, um, is a time I was playing guitar and singing at a friend's wedding. Well, actually, I wasn't playing guitar in this particular song, and that was what made it different. Someone else was playing the guitar. So what I did is I took, I decided I wanted to be on the dance floor with all of my friends. Um, so I took my microphone out of the stand and I wasn't drinking because I was driving that night. So I'm not normally like that confident. This is like 10 years ago or whatever. Um, I wasn't anywhere near this type of confident back then. And I took and I basically took that microphone out and it was we were doing one week by the bare naked ladies. Um, in fact, Charlie was trying to get me to sing before, wasn't he? <laughs> Chickadee China, the Chinese chicken. You got a drumstick and your brain stops ticking. Watch your next files with the lights on. We done the maze on. I hope the smoker man's this one. I'm not going to the next one. Um, because it goes really fast after that. Um, if someone asks in chat at the questions at the end, I might. But um I'm so thirsty. But but basically, um I in the middle of this song, I wasn't planning to do this. I never went in with that intention. I used to always hide behind my guitar or the mic stand, right? And on this particular day, I decided that I was taking the microphone off and I was going to get onto the dance floor with all of my friends and just be like, and sing this song with them. And 
oh, it's just one of the most raw moments of confidence of my entire life. And literally reliving it right now whilst I'm telling the story. It's making me feel that confidence that I had there and then. And this is what we can do. We just don't realize we can do it with positive memories or positive ideas of the future. So like, you know, if I was to sit here and say, imagine right now that at the end of this, like this whole wall was to open up and all of you were to just be stood there giving me a standing ovation. And that just makes me feel absolutely phenomenal right now. Makes me feel like I'm, you know, and that's the whole thing is we can invite, we can invite whatever emotion into now that we want to invite into now. It's just that naturally our our brain will invite in depression from things that have gone wrong in the past or anxiety for things that could potentially go wrong in the future. We've just got to remember that we don't have to watch what it puts on there. We can choose something else to put on. And that's why it's like YouTube. If you don't like what it suggests you, you go into the search bar, you put something else in and you watch that instead. And if pop-up ads start coming up, trying to get you back to Dave's biggest failures, you get rid of those pop-up ads the same as you would if it was interrupting a video you're watching on YouTube and you go back to watching what you want to watch. Right. On that note, I'm going to shut up for a minute. And say, if y'all want to find me on social media, I'm Mindset by Dave everywhere, like everywhere, like seriously everywhere, even TikTok. <sighs> Any questions? That was awesome, Dave. Not a question. Thanks. <laughs> that was awesome, Dave. <laughs> yeah. No, that was really, really good. Really good. As you were talking, and obviously I won't mention names, but as you were talking, certain conversations I've had with you guys were like popping into my head of like, oh, that'll help them. Oh, that'll help them. So that was really cool. Um, uh, And the other thing that was happening as you were talking was I was just relating it back to teaching. And there were so many things there that you could use in the classroom. And obviously all of that would still transfer as well to with the children. But I mean, like you personally, that you can use in the classroom. For me, it's that stop and take a breath. Yeah. I'm going to do it now. Because I think we're all the same probably. When we talk in front of people, clench your jaw. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I, I always have a very clenched jaw. Very, very. <laughs> yeah, no, I think we're all the same. We get in front of people, and I do it all the time. Like when we do our webinars and stuff on a Saturday morning, I talk at a million miles an hour, half because I'm concerned for time, and the other half probably because I'm a bit nervous, I'd say. Um, yeah. So, no, that's all, that's all fantastic. I've got a quick question. Can I, am yeah. I allowed to ask? Yeah, of course you are. So, I know a lot of people in the team find that kind of having a really really busy mind before bed is a massive problem um particularly well not particularly recently but even more so you know it's it's always been a bit of an issue but I've had this conversation with probably half the team in the last month or so um, and obviously I've got a couple of go-to solutions lots of them come from you but I'm just wondering if someone was you know having a really, really busy day they haven't quite got that evening routine in place because of everything just being a bit all over the shop. You know, it's not a, not a kind of formed habit and they go, you know, they're getting into bed, they're half an hour late to bed. So that's playing on their mind. They haven't done this. They haven't done that. All these things are popping in their heads. What could somebody do to help them kind of bring themselves back down to that equilibrium and how could someone use whatever that is to kind of help get them to sleep? Okay. There's a, there's a few things. So one is if you are like already half an hour late for bed, and but you are completely and utterly wired, if you get into bed at that point, you're going to spend another half an hour in bed kind of, or even two hours, three hours trying and getting that whole frustration cycle. It's like, think about that positive feedback loop of anxiety. 
it's so it works the same with sleep oh my god if i only if i don't get to sleep now i'll only have seven hours worth of sleep and if i don't and then if, and then i've got this in the morning now so one one thing i suggest is um is what i call a brain dump a brain dump is anything that's in your head get it out get it onto paper your, your brain isn't saying it for any other reason other than it wants you to remember it so your brain is saying to you oh this is happening tomorrow or you need to remember this tomorrow it wants you to remember it uh, and again chances are that you won't remember it in the morning anyway if you, your brain will tell you it on repeat over and over again um whilst you're trying to sleep and then you'll still wake up in the morning and you won't remember it even though it's told you a million times because you've slept on it since then so i i for this i often um i write things down um i like i basically try try and get all of those thoughts out of my head because what that what happens is once the thoughts are on paper i know that my, i don't i've not got the responsibility to remember it anymore it's there and it's on the paper and, and I'll, I'll do this as well when i'm like when i've got ideas for things i want to do and i'm somewhere where i don't want to interrupt myself with those ideas so like when i'm at the gym i'll like write in my notes do this later or whatever um rather than because sometimes i'm very guilty of while i'm in the gym just going and doing it there and then because i've got a phone that can do anything um but so that's one thing is what's called a brain dump um the mantra thing that i said before um like because that's that combines a breathing technique with with taking your brain that is active and choosing what it's active on so instead of it being act, active on all of those things that you want to remember or beating yourself up about the 10 things on the list and you should have put 11 or whatever you know it's it's instead of that that mantra gives you a focal point it also causes you to start doing the breathing thing because you're going to breathe in i am you're not saying that out loud by the way because your partner will just really punch you um you know although mine mine likes to listen to guided meditations and because i've made a bunch of them sometimes she puts the ones on that i've done and I do love the sound of my own voice, just not when I'm trying to sleep. But um, so, yeah, you breathe in. I am strong or even I am calm or any of that. Like, you know what? You can say I am calm and like it will, you know, it will calm you down. Um, what we've just said about um, what we've just said about the whole remembering thing if you actually remember, I just remembered sometime that I was confident and I told the story. If you, if you tell it in your head, it does the same thing. If you tell a story to yourself about a time that you were somewhere where you were relaxed and calm, again, that will, it's not going to switch off everything that's going on, but it'll take your mindset to a more calm place. It invites those calm feelings into now. So you're like, oh, I remember that time that I was, in fact, actually, the, the, I was about to talk about a beach and stuff. Do you know the one, the one that I use that really works? is I think about falling asleep on the couch while I'm watching TV. Because there's actually this thing called paradoxical intent, right? Whereas you think about and must sleep, got to sleep, got to sleep, got to sleep, got to sleep, it keeps you awake. But I'm sure you've all had that thing where you're watching something and you can feel yourself drifting off and you really want to watch it. And you're just like, oh, I've just got to stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. And but like that whole feeling of falling asleep whilst watching the TV, that to me, I actually find thinking about that to be, to be really restful because that's that's a natural state and that I'm falling asleep where, where instead of fighting it, you know, do you know what I mean? It's like, so, but telling yourself a story about a time, like where you were relaxing, where, where you were someone else trying to remember that story, remember, well, not just remember it, see it, see it through your eyes, like see the, the scenario, see the things that are around you. 
Um, those things all work quite well. Uh, the big one, though, is, and I know you kind of almost led me away from this with the question itself. The big one is to get that, just to get that pre-sleep routine done because it does take time to wind down. Like one of my on Sunday, one of my friends kept me on his stream. Like I was supposed to be on from eight PM, and I thought I'd be on till like eight to like half nine or something. And he just, I, I kept on trying to say goodbye, <laughs> and I was on there until like ten past eleven. And then I went to bed at like half 11 and I was just, I didn't sleep like hardly at all because I was just so wired from still doing something that engaging to that point of time. It, um, so if you are, if you are in that position and I didn't do this at the time, but what I found that works in the past, if I've, if I've got to that late point is actually going and spending some time unwinding, like spending an extra half an hour out of bed so that when I'm in bed, I get an extra hour of sleep rather than me being awake for that 90 minutes. That's really good. I never thought about it that way. I always tell the guys um, about what remember you said to me, like, if you can't sleep in bed, don't lie there because then you associate that frustration with your bedroom and yeah. taking yourself away. No, that's awesome. And um, Beth's got a really, really good question. Um, I do find it hard to get a um, positive, positive, positive confident mindset and i can completely relate to this question as well um as i see it as arrogance a mindset that i don't see as desirable and i've just spent um you probably saw that i just spent Belf uh, that time in belfast with phil graham and authority yeah. network a lot of arrogance in that room loads of amazing people but there there was quite a lot of ego in that room um, and for me it's not comparing myself to that but beth says um as most of us have said as teachers we tend to be quite self-deprecative, um, um, depre depreciative. Yeah, that's, that's a better word. Uh, we should, should have put glasses on. We should have chosen 11 instead of 10 on the checklist. How do we get out of that? I genuinely struggle with my go-to negative self-talk. Beth would have read that far, far better than I have. So <laughs> it's all about the, having that mindset. She's laughing now. Having that mindset and not wanting to kind of big yourself up too much because you've been taught to be humble. And how do you get out of that? How do you, how do you find, you spoke about that grey middle ground. Yeah. How do yeah. you get, how do you find the balance without feeling like you're just being egotistical? Um, so, okay. For the, I don't even know if I want to ask this question. I'm not sure I'm ready for the answer. Did anyone if, during this, if, if you put, put your hand up, if it's a yes, and I'll be, I'll, I'm being vulnerable here. Did anybody think throughout any of that, that I was egotistical? Or was it confidence? Oh, this is one I've never asked this. Oh, not, no hands are going up. Oh, you're all being nice. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, that perception, like, I don't know what you've just said then. I was I, again when you said about the uh, Phil Graham's group before, there's a lot of there's a lot of ego in that room. I would say, because was there any women in that group at all? A very small number, and that was actually a question asked by one of the female coaches about okay. how about being in the industry and things i would say that there was a lot of false bravado in that room to be perfectly honest um because when blokes are around other blokes are all hey, let's, 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 um which basically um yeah um now here's the thing so first of all understand there's a big difference between someone who loves themselves and someone who loves themselves you know is understanding that that middle ground's there and i think even if anyone even if anyone was thinking it and just didn't want to kind of rumble me on that one i would say most people probably didn't see what i've just done as arrogance it was just more like confidence hopefully hopefully it came across confident and you know there were bits and pieces where i was going too fast and 
I was, I was making mistakes and I'm aware of that. Um, I beat myself up for the longest of times, for the longest of times. Like I genuinely, I thought, um, I thought I was like the ugliest of all my friends, which is why I put in first traps on the internet. Now is a really weird thing for me. Um, but basically I thought it was the ugliest. I, I used to, I used to think I was kind of funny. So I used to always feel very threatened when there was a funnier person in the room than me, but I spent all my life beating myself up um, as in like putting myself down. And, um, and in fact, actually, let me, let me, let me see if I've, if I've got this line around. Um, do, 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 how do I search on here? Let me look for the word bullied. There we go. Let me read this to you. Um, I was neglected by my father, but I have neglected me too. Bullied in school, but I have bullied me too. Assaulted on the street, but I have assaulted me too. Belittled in public, but I have belittled me too. Gaslit in a relationship, but I have gaslit me too. Given up on by friends, but I have gaslit me. I have given up on me too. Now, I'm not saying that none of the others weren't wrong, but the biggest tormentor in my life has been me, not by sheer force, but by consistency, like a tide eroding a cliff edge over time. I cannot go back and change how I've treated myself in the past, but I can make a pact to change moving forward. No more neglect, but self-care. No more bullying, but solidarity. No more assault, but compassion. No more belittling, but emboldening. No more gaslighting, but self-belief. No more giving up. No more giving up. 39 years I have tortured my own mind. I can't stop how others treat me, but I can learn to treat myself with respect. And um, trust me, putting yourself down is not going to keep you humble. It's going to keep you small. It's going to keep you small. It's going to keep you feeling like a failure or feeling like you should have put 11 things on the list, right? Bigging yourself up. There is a long ass way between that and being egotistical and very much also the fact that you're worried about becoming egotistical is a positive enough sign for me to say that you're probably not going to be um because like i i i get like dads often come to me and like the ones that are worried about whether they're a good dad or not are usually the ones that are doing the most you know um like i'm like the fact that you're merely worried about being a good dad proves to me that you probably are because a bad dad doesn't and a bad an egotistical person doesn't ever worry about whether they're being egotistical they just it's and it's it's understanding that understanding that there is um there is a massive gulf between those two things so starting the same as what we said about the self-esteem stuff before starting small giving yourself a compliment about something that you can do i remember at one point writing down like five things i thought i'm, I'm good at and weirdly um, I wrote, I think so. I think I wrote like, I'm good at the guitar. I'm good at cooking. Um, I'm go I can't remember what the third one was, but I remember the fourth and fifth was, I think I'm a good dad and I think I'm a good coach. And what I realized at that point was the fact that I was, um, I was looking for other people to tell me that. And actually I was about to say, none of my kids ever tell me I'm a good dad, but the youngest one occasionally does. Um, the eldest one, he's like, oh, stop being so needy. Um, but, um, but basically it's about, it's, and now actually, I can sit there and say, I am a good dad. I am a good coach. And uh, it's not about being perfect. It's not about getting it right 100% of the time. It's about the fact that my heart's in it. I try my best. I do my best on that given day. I also understand that my best is not a set number, a set value. So understand that for yourself as well. Because that some days you'll get 11 done, other days you'll get four done. Right. And that's what you were capable of that day. 
I don't know you or your, your situation as to know whether you've got any, any, any underpinning stuff with mental health or anything like that, but we all have underpinning things with what I call momentum, which is not motivation. Momentum is, is it all going in the right direction, right? Some days it's not. Some days you wake up with little sleep um, and everything's harder. Some days you wake up hangry and everything's harder, you know? Um, some days you're under more stress. Other days you don't even realize you're under more stress because you've got 74 little stresses coming from 74 different places rather than one giant stress that's obvious and right in front of you. So being more compassionate about yourself is a practice. It's not something, it's not a kind of, it's not a quick, it's not a quick flick of a switch I can make for you. It's about like giving yourself compassion and actually, and, and saying to yourself, I've, I've heard Charlie say this in, in, in talks before, which is, you know, um, good enough is enough. Is that how you say it, Charlie? I've got to think now. Think enough is good enough. Or you're, good, you're good enough is good enough. No. Yeah. Put me on the spot. It's something like that. He, he says it really nicely. <laughs> but yeah, is is that and that's what it is. And just go back to that. Think about think about ultimately your your own self-talk. Its purpose is to try and motivate you. But we don't guilt ourselves into greatness. We don't belittle ourselves into greatness. We don't self-deprecate into greatness. We we show compassion. We show support. We show empathy. We show we show motivation. You know, we give we give those. That's that's how we give motivation and inspire other people. Um, and I had to learn this lesson simply by one point saying, either if I'm doing if I'm treating myself differently than I'm treating my clients. And you can say this about, you know, whether you're treating yourself differently than how you're treating the kids in your class. That either means you're giving them the best advice in the world and you don't think you deserve the best advice in the world. So you're giving yourself second best advice. Or it means that you're giving yourself the best advice in the world and you're giving them the second best advice and they don't deserve the good stuff. And I don't think you're going to be happy with either of those situations because I certainly wasn't. So, um, so yeah, I tend to basically give every, give myself the same respect that I give to other people and, and sometimes a little bit more. And it does get less cringy over time, I promise. <laughs> no, that's really good. That's really, really good. Oh, Dave, every time we do this, I just feel like you're talking straight to me. <laughs> for oh, we're alone. Sorry, totally planned. No, it's, uh, no, amazing. Um, has anyone got any other questions that they would like to ask? Anything at all? Probably not going to have another session today for a little bit. So make the most make the most of it while you got him. Anyone got any other questions? I think I think you've answered all of mine as we've gone through. Cool. Which is obviously means it was it was a great talk, which is perfect. <laughs> but I don't think we've got any others coming through. Yeah, 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 yeah.